Reach 460, leaning on the everlasting arms. Page 460 on the first. What a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine, leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms. Leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, how bright to walk in this pilgrim way. Leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, how bright the path.
Page 475, Redeemed. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Page 475, on the first. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of going to tell a joke too because uh, we uh, lost all the uh, missionary or language bloopers um, but my, all my family knows I'm a terrible joke teller so uh, my uh, or Jonathan uh, told a joke the other day that he made up when he was little uh, so uh, he said uh, why did trees grow so tall and he said so everyone can look up to them <laughs> But all that being said, I was going to tell a butter joke, but I decided not to spread it. Um, anyway, um, William Carey um, is the missionary person um, of today. He was uh, born in 1761 and lived until 1834. Um, he was a pioneer missionary to Indiana and became known as the father of modern missions. 
William Carey was born in 1761 near Northampton, England. He came to believe the gospel at age 18 and began intensive study of languages, mastering Latin, Greek, Hebrew, Italy, and Dutch, all the while working as a shoemaker, a vocation that left him in poverty. In uh, 1787, William Carey was ordained as a minister by the Particule Baptist, uh, Calvinistic Baptist group. A minister, Carvey, began, as a minister, Carvey began to advocate for world missions. Previously, missions actively was primarily directed under reached areas in one's home, country, or overseas colonies. In 1972, Carey preached a sermon in which he uttered the phrase that would forever be associated with him, and his philosophy of ministry, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. In the same year, he published an inquiry into the obligations of Christians to U.S. means for conversation in the heathen, in which he appealed for Christians to get involved in missions activities. Also, in the same year, a new mission society was formed, the Particule Baptist Society, for the propagating of the gospel among the heathen. Later, the name was changed to the Baptist Missionary Society. Members paid dues which were used to support missionaries. William Carey was part of the first contingent sent, contingent sent by this missionary society, and he sailed to Indiana, or India the next year. In 1799, Carey was joined by two other missionaries in Sarapore, Indiana. Joshua Marshman and William Ward, the group became known as the Saramore Trio. In all, they started 26 churches and 126 schools. They translated the Bible into more than 44 local languages and developed grammars and dictionaries. They also started medical missions, saving banks, a seminary, a girls' school, and a bilingual, bilingual language newspaper. In uh, William Carvey advocated for the abolishment of the sati, the custom of burning a widow and her dead husband's pride, and founded the Agriculture and Horticultural Society of Indiana, or India. Currently, the Agri-Horticulture Society of India, which conducted experiments on medical and endable plants to better serve the Indian people, Carey started the first Indian printing copy company to introduce the first paper mill and steam engine to Indiana. He translated Indian stories in into English previously missionary activated, actively had never involved this kind of comprehensive ministry and social reform. However, since that time of William Carey, missionary activity has involved a wide range of ministry to both body and spirit. The following are some quotes from William Carvey that reveal something of his heart. Um, quote number one, to know the will of God, we need to open the Bible and open a map. Quote number two, you have been speaking about William Carvey. When I am gone, say nothing about William Carey, speak only about William Carey's savior. When I left England, my hope of Indians conversation was very strong, but among so many obstacles, it would die unless upheld by God. Well, I have God, and his word is true. 
though the superstitions of the heathen were a thousand times stronger than they are, and the example of the Europeans a thousand times worse, though I were deserted and all by persecuted by all, yet my faith, fixed on sure word, would rise above all obstructions and overcome every trial. God's cause will triumph. I am not afraid of failure. I am not afraid of succeeding at all things. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. Only things that matter. William Carey. So, again, another great uh, missionary story. I know a lot of them have been um, great and very touching. So... Oh 
you know about brother steve and he's he's meant a lot to this ministry and of course this has been a really good meeting uh but it goes far beyond the time he's been here uh, i don't think he probably realized how many times uh we have people in this church getting on his website and i encourage uh, people to get on and hear his teaching he's one of the most consistent teachers and preachers i've ever heard and the nice thing about it is i can trust everything he preaches and teaches that's not something most people can say about anybody and so we've had a lot of people grow in the Lord in this church, by, even by his website. 
So uh, we do appreciate Brother Steve, and I guess Aaron's going to come and sing for us, and then Brother uh, Steve is going to preach for us. God puts us all through trials that we may not understand. And sometimes we think this can't be part of his plan, but in every trial you left us so all alone and feel we are now on our own but in every trial you go through remember this one thing is true God is Good to be back in church on a Sunday evening. There's no football game worth missing church for, that's for sure. Amen. Well, again, I appreciate the hospitality. I appreciate everything that uh, uh, you've done for us, for our family, while we've been here for these couple of days. It seems like just a couple of days ago this meeting started. Just checking to see if you're awake. It was just a couple of days ago the meeting started, all right? It was Friday. And here we are on Sunday. It's already here, and it's the end of the meeting. 
and uh, we appreciate that. All the, all the kind words, all the nice things that have been said, we appreciate that, and uh, it's so glad to, have, to feel a warm welcome when we come, and uh, to, to see the blessing that God's given Joy Baptist Church up here, your ministries and your outreach. Uh, we enjoy coming up here. We look forward to it, not just for our children and grandchildren's sake, uh, but for all of you. You're all a blessing to us, and we sure appreciate that. I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles tonight to the Gospel of John chapter 8. The Gospel of John chapter 8. It is a challenge knowing that folks, uh, uh, Brother Rick this morning said he remembers hearing the sermon I preached this morning when he heard it online not too long ago. So that is kind of a challenge to preach to folks that are tuning into it to try to get a different message. So uh, I have to disguise them sometimes and make them not, not sound like the same thing you heard there. And John chapter 8 has been something, I might have even preached part of this or some of this here last year, uh, but there's just something in this, in the, in the phrase we're going to look at that has really just stood out for me, and uh, you'll see it as we look at it this evening. John chapter 8, beginning in verse number 1, we're going to read all the way down to verse 11 as we start tonight, so find your place there if you would in the gospel of John chapter 8, beginning in verse number 1, where the Bible says, Jesus went into the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him. And he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger, and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and say, said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even to the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Let's go to the Lord together in prayer tonight. Father, it is good to be here on this Sunday night, and Lord, it's good to be among believers, and Father, to fellowship with one another, and Lord, just to be able to relax. God, how nice it is to be in a clean environment. Father, we don't have to worry about our ears or our eyes being polluted by the things that are going on around us. We can hear the many songs that were sung tonight, and God, the special music, all three of these uh, three days has been so precious and so wonderful, and it's lifted our hearts up toward heaven. God, now I pray that you would give me clarity of thought. I pray, Father, you'd give me clarity of diction as I, as I preach this evening. I pray, Father, you'd give me the words to say that would be a blessing, a challenge, and encouragement to the folks that are gathered here. May you feed us, Father, from your precious word. May you challenge us and encourage us. For, God, we need to hear from you. Should there be one tonight that's never been saved, never put their faith and trust in Christ, God, tonight may, be that, may, may it be the night that they come to Christ for salvation. Lord, for we that are saved, may you challenge us by those things that we're about to see, to read, and to hear tonight. For we ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. You know the story of John chapter 8. Jesus has been uh, 
fulfilling his ministry here on earth. The Pharisees have sought every opportunity to try to trip him up in his words and even that phrase, that, that very thought, they're trying to, trying to accuse him, find something they might accuse Jesus Christ of. And so at this occasion in John chapter 8, while he's teaching the people, they interrupt his teaching. That's how rude and crude the Pharisees were. They interrupt him by bringing a woman and throwing her down in the midst of him while Jesus is sitting teaching the people. And they throw her down in the midst of him and then they begin to question him as to what should be done with this woman. Should she be stoned according to the law of Moses? Or are you going to let her go free and violate the law of Moses? They thought they had him cornered. And the Bible tells us he stooped down and wrote on the ground. The Bible does not see fit to tell us what he stooped and wrote down on the ground. So that leaves conjecture of a million different ideas. But the simple fact is whatever he wrote on the ground made an impression upon them. Jesus didn't say anything. He simply stooped down and wrote on the ground. And it says he wrote on the ground. And verse number 9, it says, And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even to the last. I want you to notice that phrase, convicted by their own conscience. What is a conscience? How do we define it? How do we describe it? Many times the work in the Bible of, of the conscience is something we attribute to the Holy Ghost. And I would simply say this, that the Holy Ghost, being that part of the Godhood, uses the conscience in a way to convict us. Notice it says in verse 9, being convicted by their own conscience. When Jesus stooped down on that ground, when he, when he wrote and said, let him that is without sin cast the first stone upon her, beginning at the oldest, the wisest, <laughs> down to the youngest, one after the other, they began to walk away being convicted by their conscience. You know, modern pipe, pop psychology, as they call it, tells, us, tells young people, don't worry about your conscience. Your conscience only brings grief. Your conscience only brings guilt. Don't worry about that. Get over that. Ignore that. Go on from that. Don't let it dictate to you what you feel or don't feel what's right or wrong. But I might say this evening that according to the Word of God, that conscience is something that God has planted in every single human being. Now, I'm not talking about just saved people. We have the Holy Ghost. But every single human being from the youngest is, has something planted within them. It's a mechanism that the Holy Spirit is able to use to teach them right from wrong. And the Bible has to say a lot about that thing about the conscience. Now, it's sad to say that it's not just pipe psycho pop psychology that's gotten rid of this conviction thing. Those very words in verse number 9, convicted by their own conscience. If you picked up the New International Version, English Standard Version, all those different Bibles, they take that phrase completely out. They have also eliminated, they followed the leading of psychology and said, don't worry about that conscience. And in verse 9, it'll simply say something like this. And when they heard it, they went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even to the youngest. And they take out that being convicted. You know, we need more preaching on conviction. We don't have enough preaching on conviction. I'm not talking about your church and my church in particular, but within Christianity, you don't hear a lot about conviction anymore. Nobody wants to feel guilty about anything. Nobody wants to be convicted by things. And that's why our morals as a nation are down the tubes. Because folks don't want to feel guilty about anything. You know, without a guilt feeling, you can't get saved. Yeah. 
A lot of folks are trying to lead people to Christ without them getting, getting convicted, without repentance, without sorrow for sin. Oh, just repeat this prayer after me. Now, let me say this very clearly. Salvation is nothing more than a simple prayer. I gave my testimony a little bit this morning. 46 years ago, all I did was say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve to go to hell. Come into my heart and save me. And he did and made a change in my life. That, that simple prayer made that change. I hear folks today, they're saying, oh, you just, you think one, two, three, repeat after me. No, that's not what it is. There's got to be a sincerity of heart. There's got to be a conviction of sin. And sometimes we're guilty of taking people through that plan of salvation without that. And sometimes we're guilty of not doing it, thinking it takes more than that. Uh, there's, there's a fine line between the two. But salvation is a very simple thing. Aren't you glad for that? God did not make it difficult. He's not willing that any should perish. He made a simple plan of salvation. And yet in that simple plan of salvation has to be a conviction of sin. And when we start changing our Bibles to, 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 to mimic modern psychology and try to take away the guilt feeling, we're doing something wrong. A guilt feeling is a good feeling. When we, when we realize that something has gone wrong or we've done something wrong, that's never a bad thing. And too many folks today override that and go on their way and never feel guilty about anything. The Bible says they being convicted by their own conscience. Look back at John chapter 1, just a few pages back. I believe this helps describe what we read here in John chapter 1 and verse number 9. John chapter 1 and verse number 9. John writing here said, This, that was the true light, notice this, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. You know what that tells me? Every single person that comes into the world has something within them to let them know right from wrong, to let them know truth from error. Now, modern sociology and what's going on is trying to cover that up and bury that over and, 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 and defile that conscience, as it were. It's interesting to note that that word conscience is the first time it appears is there in John chapter 8. We've gone throughout the whole Old Testament already. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, before that word pops up for the first time, the first time it shows up is in John chapter 8. It'll be 30 more times throughout the New Testament. And the Bible will talk about, and this I might have preached here before, I don't know, but it, preached, it, it, talks, it gives different adjectives for this thing called the conscience. We read in the Bible about having a pure conscience. We read about having a good conscience. Paul said before the Pharisees, I have lived in all good conscience from my youth to this day. It's a good thing to have a good conscience, a pure conscience. The Bible talks then about having a weak conscience. And that's what modern society is trying to do to our younger generations, to weaken their con conscience, to tell them it's not wrong. If it feels good, do it. If you think it's okay, then it's okay. What's wrong for that person might not necessarily be wrong for you. It's all immaterial. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's amoral. Don't worry about it. When the Bible tells us there are definite rights and definite wrongs, definite truths, definite, definite evils, we've got to be watch, it, watch for it. And some people weaken their conscience. You know what you do when you come to church and you hear the preaching of the Word of God? You're strengthening your conscience. You're feeding your conscience. And sometimes God convicts your conscience through the work of the Holy Spirit. He uses your conscience as the tool to get through to you and to your heart. 
So we need, to, we need to value this thing that God has put within us, this mechanism that's inside. It is our internal moral compass. I was talking to, we had a fellow come out and top some trees for us out on our property at home in Cambridge. And he came out and I was trying to invite him to church. Gave him some material, some packets, some stuff from our church. Trying to encourage him to come and he used his work schedule as an excuse and sometimes that's legitimate. Oh, I have to work Sundays every weekend to make enough money, this and that and all that. And I knew he had some kids. I'd seen him at Denny's restaurant one day. And I said, well, you know, if nothing else, your kids need to be in church. He looked at me surprised. Like, why do you think my kids need to be in church? Are you, are you telling me I'm not a good enough father? <laughs> are you telling me I'm not fulfilling my job? And of course, you know, that's not my intent at all. But I just know the younger generations today, they're being sent off to school and running with the kids in the neighborhood. And I know what's being fed to them. And they are, they are getting stuff that is weakening their conscience. When you turn on that television, the minute you turn it on, you know what it's going to do? It's going to start to weaken your conscience. I, I'm as guilty as some other folks sometimes. You find your favorite show. You, have you ever noticed these new TV shows? Some of you don't watch it. That's good for you. But these new TV shows come out, and they, they make the first episode or two episodes really enticing, especially I like the whodunits, the law story, stuff like that, and they make a good one. But by the third one, they start introducing stuff that had they done it the first one, you never would have started watching it in the first place. They introduce different characters with different lifestyles or different things like that. And what are they trying to do? They're trying to break you down and weaken your conscience. And when your conscience is weak, it's hard to be convicted. The problem of our modern world today is weakened consciences. But the Bible goes on to tell us that after a conscience is weak, it's defiled. The Bible talks about a defiled conscience. The Bible talks about an evil conscience, and lastly, it talks about a seared conscience. That, that eventually, if you keep denying it and ignoring it and putting it off, it's going to get seared like a hot iron. And you will no longer feel conviction. You'll no longer feel guilt. You'll no longer feel grief. And that's what the devil is after. So you and I need to bank on the conscience of people to give them. Jesus wrote on the ground, I'm convinced it was scripture from Deuteronomy that he wrote, because that's what has the power to convict. And he wrote that down there, and these Pharisees, as they looked at it, being familiar with the Old Testament law, and knowing exactly what was going on, from the oldest to the youngest, they begin to walk away being convicted by their conscience. You know what you're hoping to do on Saturday morning when you're holding scripture signs on the street corner? You're hoping that somebody comes by and reads those signs and gets their conscience convicted. Here's what the conscience is. It's the unseen preacher. It's the unseen preacher. People don't like preachers. Sometimes people don't like preachers. They don't like preaching. But there's something they can't get away from, and that's that thing that God put in there that's going to convict them when they know they're doing wrong. I want to show you some tonight, some, some examples, just a few examples in the Bible of those that were convicted by their conscience without even realizing it. See, that's that unseen preacher. They don't even know where it's coming from. They don't know what's going on. But we do by studying the scripture. And God has put something in every individual that will convict them when they've done wrong, and there's nothing they can do about it. You can get up and walk out of the church to get away from the, the voice of the preacher. You can turn the radio off to turn off the voice of the preacher. But you can't shut off the conscience when the Holy Spirit uses that mechanism and begins to bring conviction to the heart and to the soul. Look back, if you would, all the way with me to the book of Genesis. 
Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. The story here is Adam and Eve. God put them in the garden. God said, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. It's like going back to that table tonight. Here's all these cookies on the table. You can eat any one of these cookies, but don't touch that one right there. You know what everybody's going to do? Look at that one. What's wrong with that one? Who made that one? That's our human nature. And God said, of all the trees of the garden, thou mayest freely eat, but of the garden of the tree, for the, the tree of the garden, whatever it is, of the knowledge of good and evil, whatever tree that is, the knowledge of the good and evil, don't eat of it. For in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. You know what happened? The serpent came down, beguiled Eve, got her to eat of that fruit. She gave it to Adam. He did eat also. And both of them were plunged into sin. God was not on the scene when all that happened. But God did show up shortly thereafter, just like he did every cool of the evening, to come down and walk with Adam and Eve and fellowship with them. And yet this time when he came... Adam and Eve were hiding. Can you imagine? Hiding from God. Where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? You can't see. But they were hiding from God. And notice the story here in, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 7. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord called unto Adam and he said unto him, where art thou? Now again, we've said it before. God's not asking Adam where he is because God doesn't know. God's asking Adam where he is so Adam would realize he was hiding from God. Adam, every, every time I came down in the garden, you were right there ready for me. You were ready to fellowship with me, to walk with me and talk with me. Where are you now, Adam? The Bible says in verse 9, Adam said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And God asked the question in verse 10, Who told thee thou was naked? And what is the answer? Who told him? The serpent didn't tell him that. His conscience did. After he took of that fruit of the tree, something transpired. Something happened in Adam. Many things happened in Adam at the time. But one of those things that happened is his conscience was turned on. Just like you flip on a light switch. When he took that, tree, that, that, that fruit from that tree, that, 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 that light switch was flipped on. And now he can recognize right from wrong and good from error. And the first thing he does, he tries to hide himself from God. He's got a guilty conscience. He is convicted. And can I say this? Thank God for it. Thank God he knew he was naked. Thank God he knew he should hide from God. Thank God he knew his fellowship was broken. Because until you realize that, there's no hope for you. You've got to come to that point where you realize you've, you've come sinned and come short of the glory of God before God can do anything. And so here's Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden way back then. The word conscience isn't mentioned until John chapter 8. But way back then, and something bothered them, something puzzled them, something troubled them, and it was their conscience. Can I encourage you this evening that when you're sitting and you're alone and, and something begins to bother you, pay attention to it. Something begins to convict you, listen to it. 
See what is going on. Now I know, I know how it works. The devil's good at using that conscience too to bring up stuff way in the past and throw it back in your face all the time. And there's nothing you can do but plead the blood for that. But sometimes God is using that mechanism in you to get you to realize you messed up. You did something you shouldn't have done. Listen to your conscience. They used to say, let your conscience be your guide. The only problem is if you have a defiled or seared or weak conscience, you don't want that to be your guide. So feed your conscience. Read the Word of God. Take in all the preaching you can. Glorify and praise God all the time. And it will help that mechanism discern right from wrong. Adam felt guilt and grief because of his conscience. Look with me, if you would, all the way over at Mark chapter 14 in the New Testament. Mark chapter 14. Not that there aren't more illustrations of it in the Old Testament, but look at this. Knowing what we're looking for now. Mark chapter 14. And verse number 66. Mark chapter 14 and verse 66. And as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And thou wast also with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest. And he went out to the porch, and the cock crew. And the maid saw him again and began to say to him that stood by him, This is one of them. And he denied it again. And a little after, they that stood by him again said, said again to Peter, Surely thou art with them, for thy, thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. And he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom you speak. And the second time, the cock crew. And Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him, Before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he, when he thought thereon, he wept. Notice that phrase, when he thought thereon. You know what's bothering Peter? A guilty conscience. You know what's bothering him? An evil conscience. He had just denied the Lord Jesus Christ. He had just failed God. He just said, I don't even know the man, and to disguise it, started to speak like everybody else around him was speaking. And it bothered him, and he remembered what Jesus said. And that, that statement of Jesus, that word of Christ, connected to the conscience of Peter, caused him to run out and weep bitterly, the Bible tells us. Now, is that a good thing or a bad thing? The, the, the counselors would say that's bad. It made Peter weep. The Holy Spirit would say that's good because it made him repent. The work of our conscience that God has planted in here is to get us to feel guilt, to get us to feel conviction, that the Holy Spirit can use it to improve our lives and work on our lives. And he's planted that in every human being. I'm so thankful for that. When you witness to someone, talk to someone, uh, have a loved one, a neighbor, a friend, whatever it is, you know there's something in them that wants the right thing. There's something in them that knows the right thing. You just have to give something that's going to trigger it. And the only thing that triggers it is the Word of God. A lot of times we say, well, what can I say? What can I do? Give them Bible. Give them Scripture. Give them the Word of God. You say, well, I've got a verse, but it has nothing to do with what they're, what they're thinking about. It doesn't have to. It's the Word of God. It's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. You, you can be with, somebody will say, you know, what about this or that? I say, well, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. 
I mean, you say, you say, that's about the only verse I know. We'll use that one. And God will use it to convict their soul. God will use his word in ways we can't imagine. And he'll convict that conscience and get them to realize what they've done is wrong. He did it with Adam. He did it with Peter. Follow on. Look, look if, if you would, look at uh, Matthew chapter 14. Go back there. Matthew chapter 14. God can do it to Adam. You say, well, Adam was the son of God created in the garden. He did it with Peter. Well, Peter was Peter. We know about him. Well, how about Herod? Here's a pretty rotten guy. Here's a pretty wicked guy. And yet we find out he has the same problem. He knows what it's like to have a guilty conscience, and it bothered him. Look at Matthew chapter 14 and verse 1. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus. All right, he's heard about Jesus raising the dead, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind. And he heard all these stories, and he said to his servants, verse 2, This is John the Baptist. Now, was it John the Baptist? No. John the Baptist never raised any dead. He never healed any sick. He never gave sight to any blind. But John the Baptist was a, was a preacher of righteousness. He proclaimed the word of God, and Herod knew it. And the, the story, it goes on to tell us the story beginning in verse 3 about how John had preached about Herod not taking his brother's wife, and Herod uh, felt guilty about it, but he brought him in, and he, he would not harm John because of uh, his testimony. He knew he was from God, but his wife tricked him by the dancing of her daughter to get him to give the head of John the Baptist in a charge. You know all that story. You know what happened with that story? You know what happened to Herod? He never got over that. He never forgot that. That bothered him for the rest of his life. Now, the sad truth is, as far as we can tell in Scripture, he never did anything about it. See, you can, you can quench that Holy Spirit. You can, you can defile that conscience. You can sear it, but you can't turn it down. You can't shut it off. It's always going to be there. God uses that conscience to convict and to bring people to a knowledge of right and wrong. Look, if you would, over at Matthew chapter 27. Look at another case of this. Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, verse number 1. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. You know that Judas had betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ by a kiss in the Garden of Gethsemane. He had received 20 pieces of silver from the Pharisees, from the Jewish leaders, to do that. And now after they've taken Jesus captive, it says in verse 3, Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned repented himself and brought the 30, excuse me, 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said to him, what is that to us? See thou to that. You know what happened to Judas a little bit too late? He got convicted by his conscience. He had delivered the Lord. He had betrayed his friend. For 30 pieces of silver. That's not a lot of money. And after Jesus had been taken, he felt guilty. He felt shame. He felt 
the way he should have felt for what he'd done. But it's too late. He tries to repent. He tries to throw the money down. But it wasn't, it, the Bible uses the word repent there, but we understand clearly it wasn't a repentance unto salvation. It was a, a guilty feeling that he'd been caught and exposed for what he'd done wrong. A lot of folks get that. They, they feel guilty for what they've done, but they don't repent toward God. Uh, we talk about jailhouse conversions. A lot of times somebody that's in prison, oh, they'll repent. They'll, they'll, they'll say, I'll, God, if you'll, I'll, do it, I'll do anything for you if you just get me out of here. God gets them out. <laughs> they don't do anything after that. That's the Judas kind of repentance right there. And Judas was smote in his conscience to the degree it was so heavy upon him. You know what he did. He went out and hung himself. He went out and his bowels gushed out as he fell down from that rope and crap. Why? Because of the guilt of his conscience that was upon him. Thank God for a guilty conscience. Thank God for that trigger that works in us that lets us know right from wrong. It happened to Adam. It happened to Peter, it happened to Herod, it happened to Judas. One more. Look at, look at Acts chapter 7. And you know this story well. Look at Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7 is a wonderful chapter of the history of the nation of Israel as it's being proclaimed by Stephen. Stephen is preaching the message. And he starts all the way back at Abraham being called out of Ur of the Chaldees and takes him all the way through Moses and the deliverance out of Egypt and Joseph and, and brings him all the way down to Christ. And you know what happens after he preaches that great sermon? The Bible tells us in verse 51, he gives an invitation. <laughs> he says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. The Bible tells, tells us in verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Something about what Stephen was preaching made them feel guilty. It convicted them. And their reaction was to go after Stephen. And the Bible tells us that when they went after Stephen and they stoned him with stones, the Bible says in verse 58, they cast him out of the city, they stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. A sad story, a tragic story, the death of the martyr Stephen. But something happened at that time that brought conviction to somebody else that was going to change the rest of the world. There was a man there, the Bible is careful to tell us in verse number 58, there was a man there, Saul tells us later, who held the cloaks and the garments of those that stoned Stephen to death. There was a man there named, named Saul. That Saul, it tells us in verse number 8, was consenting unto his death. He agreed with that. He thought Stephen should be put to death. He thought he should be eliminated. But something bothered him. He'd never seen somebody die like Stephen died. He'd put people to death before. He'd delivered them to prison before. But something about Stephen got under his skin. And he got convicted by his conscience. We know that because over in chapter 9, the Bible tells us this in verse number 5. When he meets the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, in verse 5, he says, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord says to him, 
I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. What does that mean? It's kind of an unusual phrase, isn't it? Why, how is Saul kicking against the pricks? He's being convicted by his conscience. He's trying to put that down. He's trying to bury it over. He's trying to cover it. He's trying to, he's trying to think of ways that he can excuse what he saw from Stephen. His face, the Bible tells us, was like that of an angel, like that of Moses when he came down from the mountain. And when he, when he looked up to heaven and said, I see Jesus standing on the right hand of the Father, Saul said, how in the world can he die with that positivity? How can he die with that assurance and that confidence? I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I've lived a good life all my life. And yet I couldn't die like that. He was convicted by his conscience. Hey, folks, when you drive down the road with your bumper stickers on the car, you have no idea who's seeing that. When you've got that T-shirt or that hat with a Bible verse on it, when you give out that gospel tract and think the person you're giving to, it's not going to make, make any difference in the world, you have no idea what seed you're planting, that God can't take that and use that mechanism he's already put inside of them and bring conviction to their heart and eventually save their soul. Thank God for the conviction of the conscience. All right? Again, we're not, we're not trying to over, overlook what the Holy Spirit does, but he uses that. The Bible says about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14 or 16, he said, he will convince the world, convince the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. How does he convince them? By using the conviction that comes from a conscience. How's your conscience tonight? Are you at peace with God? Do you have that confidence that when you die, you're going, going to go home to meet him? I know before I got saved, my, my grandfather died when I was young, six, seven, eight years old. And I remember we traveled all the way to Tennessee for that funeral. They wouldn't let us go to the funeral part. We stayed at home with, with some of the family members. But I remember going home from that at that age, that young age. I remember laying in the bed that night when we got home, and I, my conscience started working on me. And I started questioning, what happens to us when we die? Where do we go when we die? My, my papa had just passed away, 62 years of age. Now, he, now he's gone. Where is he now? You know what that was? My conscience starting to work. Six years old, never been in church. That's the power of the conviction of the conscience that God has put in every single one of us. And they being convicted by their conscience. Isn't it a shame those modern Bibles have taken that phrase out? Isn't it a shame our younger generations are being taught, don't listen to that, anything that makes you feel bad about yourself, that makes you feel sorry, that makes you feel grief, that makes you feel angst, just, just cast it aside and throw it out. That's not the way God works. God wants us to acknowledge, like Adam, acknowledge that there's been a change, acknowledge that something wrong. He uses that conscience to convict us and to bring us to a saving knowledge of Christ. Whatever it is you're praying for to get saved, whoever it is you're witnessing to to trust Christ, know that that conscience is at work. God has put it in that person, and all you have to do is, flame, is feed the fire. Give flames to that thing and give the word of God to make sure that that conscience can convict them and they can come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand together tonight with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Our Heavenly Father, tonight we have gone quick. It's been short. And yet, Lord, the power of your word is ever-present. And, Father, we're going to go out back into a world tonight of folks that sometimes we think have no time for the word of God. 
aren't interested in the Word of God, give no time for it or care for it. But Father, you have placed in every single individual something that's going to tell them that when they hear the Word of God, that's right. And Father, we pray that you would use us as instruments to trigger the conscience that you've put in each and every one of them. Father, help, to strengthen, help us to strengthen our conscience, that it not become weak or defiled, that it not be seared. Help us to feed upon the Word of God that strengthens us. But Father, help us to realize that this world tonight is a world in need of Christ. And God, you've done all that you can, not only by providing your Son, our Savior, on the cross, but Father, by putting in every single person a knowledge that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that He is right, that He is the way, the truth, and the life. Father, use that mechanism to, to trigger those that we care about and love, bring them to a saving knowledge of Christ. And Father, help us with our knowledge of how you work, Lord, to be able to, to flame that fire. And Father, get them to a, a saving knowledge of Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.